Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today, you'll hear a sermon from Pastor Stan Yee. So without further ado, here he is. All right, okay. Welcome everyone again to Harvest Community Church, uh, this afternoon service. Uh, my name is Stan. Um, it's my privilege to be one of the pastors here. Uh, Pastor Frank was the one that introduced uh, the service and prayed for us, and I, I agree with him. It's, uh, it's very strange. <laughs> to to be in this place, but but God provided this building for us, and you know eventually we will be here full time, and and that's uh, that's exciting. Um, so today, actually, uh, you know, for those of you that that know, uh, I've been going over the letter of Ephesians as part of a series called Jesus Revealed. Uh, but today, I actually would like to take a pause on that, and um, you know, I I blame Pastor Frank. He introduced this book to me. And we read it together. It's called uh, When Church Stops Working. And in that book, there was this, this really strong conviction uh, through that book about waiting for God. And so really today, this is what I just really want to share with you guys, uh, just the sense that God has placed on, on both of us as pastors of this church, that God is calling us as a church to really just wait on God and, and what that really means. And so uh, to begin with, I'd like to read... Psalm 37, 1 through 7. Uh, that's Psalm 37, 1 through 7. And this, you guys can, if you have your phones, you can read it along or it'll be up on the screen. So let me read that for us. This is Psalm 37, verses uh, 1 through 7. Do not get upset because of evildoers. Do not be envious of wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and decay like the green plants. Trust in the Lord and do good. Live in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. He will bring up out your righteousness as a light and your judgment as a noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not get upset because of one who is successful in his way, because of the person who carries out wicked schemes. Let me just pray for our time together before we get to the end. Father, we give this time to you. I pray that you would speak to all of us, uh, myself included, through your word. Um, I pray, Father, that you would help us know what it really means to wait on you. And, Lord, I pray also that it would not just be an intellectual idea, but it would really play out in our lives and in, in, in our everyday lives. Father, that in the moments where things are busy or where we find ourselves in line or in traffic, I, I pray, God, that in those moments you would speak to us and remind us again that we can wait in you. And so, Father, I pray that that would be a truth that really sticks in our hearts today. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. All right, so as we read through this psalm, I, this psalm really kind of stuck out to me as um, just a, a good way of understanding what it really means to wait for God and what that really kind of practically looks like in our lives. Uh, but before we get into the psalm, um, I really actually wanted to focus on this first part of the psalm. Here it reads again, Do not get upset because of evildoers. Do not be envious of wrongdoers, for they will quickly or wither quickly like the grass and decay uh, like the green plants. And, you know, I think it's important here to 
think about these verses because really, ultimately, I feel like this whole psalm and understanding this whole psalm really hinges on this one question. Uh, this really just one question. That one question is, who are the evildoers? Who are the evildoers? And, you know, I think for a lot of us here in this room, we, we grew up in church and, we, you know, I think we sometimes can think about evildoers as people who, you know, do evil, Right? You know, like a Marvel villain, I know Thanos or something like that, or or someone that wronged us, wronged me personally, or wronged you know my friends or my family, and sometimes we think about that. But I think what's interesting in these verses is that it also talks about not just being upset because of evildoers, but not be envious of wrongdoers. And in in Hebrew, you know, the, the, when there's like two verses like that, when they go side to side, it really tries to deepen your understanding of what this is. And so when you think about it, evildoers, sure, I get wronged, right? Someone cuts me off in traffic. I get mad. That's an evildoer, right? But, you know, am I envious of that person who cut me off in traffic? No, I don't think so, right? And so what is, what is the psalmist really trying to say here? And so as I was reflecting on this psalm, as I was thinking about this, really I, I thought of really this person. This is uh, Jeff Bezos. <laughs> and so, yeah, you know, probably some of you guys are thinking, oh, now, where, where, where is I going to go with this? Is, is Jeff Bezos evil? No, no, this is not, I'm not going to go there. Uh, but I do want to say this, that Jeff, Jeff Bezos, this is the founder and, uh, you know, used to be former CEO of Amazon. You know, he, he is worth, his net worth is $144.4 billion. I mean, that's more than some small countries. This is crazy. And so really, as I was reflecting on this, I was thinking of him because in some ways, I am envious of Jeff Bezos, right? Not because he's rich or anything like that, but I think personally I'm envious because, you know, I don't know if you guys know this, but he started Amazon as an online bookstore, right? And then he was just selling books, and eventually it becomes this huge giant. And today, I know some of you guys actually work for Amazon. <laughs> so <laughs> I apologize if this offends you, but, you know, this... I am envious in that sense of something he started really small and made extremely great, and that's envious. But I think there is also this upsetting part of just, you know, hearing about this bad business practices that he has. And, you know, I think Amazon now has tried to change a lot of things, but their work environment wasn't the healthiest. And and some of their business practices are pretty upsetting. And so I really wanted us to really think about it in terms of really reorientating our understanding of who is an evildoer? Who is an evildoer? And I think really what the psalmist is trying to say is that an evildoer is someone who makes choices apart from God. Someone who makes choices apart from God. And I think when we think about it from that standpoint, I think the whole rest of the psalm kind of starts kind of getting this new life, and it speaks to us in more direct ways. Really, it's not so much about being evil per se, but it really is about what does it mean when we make choices apart from God. And so really, this really kind of, and, you know, if this is, you know, maybe something that just feels a little bit unsettling, I really want us to just, you know, think about this, that the really, actually, the Bible even talks about this from the very beginning. And so in Genesis chapter 3, I'm going to read this for us. It, really, this is a story about the fall of Adam and Eve. 
And so let me, let me read that for us. And I think many of us are familiar with this. Now the serpent was more cunning than any animal of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God really said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You will certainly will not die. For God knows on that day you'll eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll become like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight in the eyes, or to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took some of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some of it some to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves waist coverings. And I read this for us because I really want to sit with this idea that really what it, really what it is about, about evildoers and wrongdoing, is really about this idea about how we make choices apart from God. Right here, Eve right, was commanded not to eat, and both Adam and Eve were commanded not to eat of the fruit of the garden for the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Right, but here, as you can see, that Eve right, saw that the tree was desirable for food, and that ultimately it was she wanted this wisdom that to be like God. And so she decided to choose to take that fruit for herself and make that choice for herself. And so she chose to do things her way rather than God's way. And I think really kind of coming back to why waiting for God is so important is because when we decide to not wait for God, when we decide to, you know, problem-solve issues that we face, and I think a lot of us here today, we have a lot of choices, a lot of issues in our lives. We have all these things that are going on, and we're so busy. We're just going from one thing to the next. And, you know, I think it's interesting because summer, right, is here. And I think a lot of times, a lot of us, when we think of summer, we think, oh, you know, Maybe it'll be nice, it'll be fun, it'll be a break. But I know for a lot of us, it actually is even busier. Summer is an even busier time than normal. And in that busyness, I think there is the temptation that we just have to be self-sufficient. We just have to figure things out. We don't need to wait for God. But that's when we decide our choosing things to do our own way. And when that happens, we are making choices apart from God. And so this morning, I want us to just think about, well, what does it then mean to wait for God? What does it really mean to, in the busyness of our lives, in the choices that we have to make, what does it really look like to wait for God? And this is where I think the psalm really helps us. So the first way the psalm really talks about, about waiting for God is that we trust, trust in God. The psalmist is encouraging us to trust in God. Here in verses 3 through 4, he says this, Trust the Lord and do good. Live in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And I love this picture that the psalmist is giving us, that he's showing us to live in the land and cultivate faithfulness, delight ourselves in the Lord. And I think this is a picture of what it looks like 
on the other side of waiting. I think the temptation is when we are faced with so many things that stress us out and so many things that we feel like we need to do, we want to just get it done. We want to rush. We, we feel like these are necessary things that we have to do. But here the psalmist is showing us that if we trust in God, and, we, and really waiting is really about trust. And I love how Evie was sharing that about faith, that really this, this faith that we have, this faith of really what it means to follow Jesus is really about trusting, trusting in the Lord. And as we trust in him, then as we, as we are faced with these choices, we can trust that in his timing and in his way, we can do good. We can live in the land. We can cultivate faithfulness. There is even delight, a delight in the Lord that we can experience. You know, this idea of waiting is, is in some ways very subtle. It actually takes more trust to wait first for God than to act first. And again, when we take action without waiting for God, you know, I believe, in fact, we are trusting in ourselves more than we are trusting in God. You know, and, and, and the Bible actually talks about this, and there's a story in the Bible that I, I've, I feel like it just keeps coming back into my own life. Um, you know, for those that don't know, like, I'm, I'm the, my role here at the church is the executive pastor, and, um, and a lot of the work I do is with this building and, and even this whole issue with, with uh, um, the school districts and things like that, trying to find a, a place to rent. And so... I think even for me personally, this idea of waiting for God is one that is such a struggle. Um, you know, for example, this week, right, we had to make a call whether or not we're going to have afternoon service here or are we going to wait for the schools. And, you know, I, as we talked about among staff, we said, okay, you know, if, if we wait till Friday and it doesn't turn out, then we're not going to have a place and we're not going to be here and be able to, <laughs> to worship together. And so we made a call Wednesday just to have afternoon service. But that pressure, this pressure to wait on God to, to see what he's going to do, it, it just is so real. And I face it personally all the time, and I'm sure you guys do too. And so in this story, we have King Saul. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with his story, but he is the first king of Israel. And he's faced uh, with the challenge of fighting the Philistines. And the Philistines are the this foreign power that's really big at the time. And King Saul is faced with fighting the Philistines. And Samuel, the prophet, this is a prophet at the time who anointed King Saul, he tells Saul to wait, to wait for him at this city called Gilgal. And so Saul, King Saul, you know, listens to Samuel and decides to wait, and this is what happens. So the Philistines muster a mighty army of 3,000 chariots and 6,000 charioteers, and as many warriors as the grains of sand on the seashore. They camp at Mismash, east of Beth-Avon. The men of Israel saw what a tight spot they were in, and because they were hard-pressed by the enemy, they, they tried to hide in caves, thickets, rocks, holes, and cisterns. Some of them crossed the Jordan River and escaped into the land of Gad and Gilead. Meanwhile, Saul stayed at Gilgal, and his men were trembling with fear. Saul waited there seven days for Samuel. He waited seven days, as Samuel instructed him earlier. But Samuel still didn't come. Saul realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away. So he demanded, bring me 
the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Saul sacrificed the burnt offerings himself. Just as Saul was finished with the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Saul went out to meet and welcome him. But Samuel said, what is this you have done? Saul replied, I saw my men scattering from me, and you didn't arrive when you said you would. And the Philistines are at Michmash, ready for battle. So I said, the Philistines are ready to march against us at Gilgal, and I haven't even asked for the Lord's help. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering myself before you came. Man, when I read this story, I am like, I am Saul. <laughs> I, I am, this, this story really kind of hits, hits home. I don't know if you felt it, but right there are here 3,000 chariots, right? 3,000 chariots and 6,000 charioteers. I mean, if you guys were in Saul's, King Saul's shoes, what would you do, right? This is, this is, it's funny, I, and I'm dating myself here, but I think some of you guys know the movie Braveheart, right? I mean, maybe not this side of the room, because <laughs> this, uh, this, uh, this is an old movie, I think, made in the, like, the 1990s. Um, but it's about about this Scottish guy, a rebel, who rebels against the king of England, and he has all these. It starts off because they they kill his his uh, wife that he married in secret, and then he goes. and I could just picture this scene, right? Like here, like in in, in the, the movie, it's the same way. Um, you know, like Mel Gibson, you know, who plays Braveheart. Like he he rides up William Wallace, and this this huge army like is right in front of this English army, ready to attack, ready to kill this guy, because how dare he rebel against the king of England. And, and, and in that movie, you know, uh, Mel Gibson, uh, William Wallace makes this really courageous speech, right? It's, it's even if you rewatch it now, you're like, yeah, we can do this. Of course we can fight against the English. We're going to win. And, the, you know, and, and it gets everyone charged up, and they fight, and they actually do win, at least in that battle. But here is the opposite, opposite situation, right? There are all these chairs. The Philistines have all these chairs in front, and everyone is just starting to, to fall away, right? They try to hide in caves, thickets, rocks, right? We see here in verse 6, some of them crossed the Jordan, escaped into the land of Gad and Gilead. And right here, Samuel, the prophet Samuel, is asking Saul to wait, to wait for him, to wait for God to wait to see what God is going to do. But Saul doesn't, right? Saul, as he sees his troops leaving, he demands to bring out the burnt offerings and the peace offerings. And, and King Saul sacrifices the burnt offering himself. And I share this story because not to make us feel guilty, not to make us feel like, oh, wow, how could, how could Saul do this? How could King Saul be, you know, so impatient, but really to really sit with this tension because I believe as we are faced in our culture today with so many things in front of us that the overwhelming sense is that we have to act now. That this culture, this world, with its social media, with, you know, um, you know like Google, like, there are so many ways to be able to figure out what to do next. 
I mean, I, you know, I'm just, I'm just even wondering, I know for, for some of the students, right, you got to write essays or you have to write like college, uh, you know, um, like to applications to get into college. And I think it's so easy nowadays. Like I remember back in my day, we had to use like typewriters and, <laughs> and all these things. And then you had encyclopedias. I don't know how many guys remember encyclopedias to look up information and go to the library. Now you can just go, you can even ask generative AI to write your paper for you. Don't do that, by the way. Don't, don't, don't. That is not me telling you to, to use AI uh, to write your papers. But it's so crazy that everything in our culture, in our society today, allows us to just find answers, to problem solve right away, to not wait, to depend upon ourselves, to be self-sufficient. Everything. Everything. And it's just like, and we are in the same shoes as King Saul. Everything is telling us to not wait and do something. But like the psalmist says, trust in the Lord and do good. God is calling us to trust him in those moments. God is calling us to trust him more than ourselves more than what we can do, more than Google, more than generative AI, or we can sit and trust in God that he will be the one to answer and that his way is better than our ways. So that's the first way to wait for God. The second way is commit, is to commit to him. And it's almost shows this in verses 5 through 6. He says, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. He will bring about your righteousness as a light and your judgment as the noonday. And here the psalmist is really encouraging us. Again, there's this level of trust, right? Trust in, also in him, and he will do it. But really when we trust in God, God's timing isn't always our timing. That God doesn't always give us immediate results like, like Google does, right? When we trust in him, when we wait for him, it takes commitment. It takes us to follow through with him, to wait on him, even when the timing doesn't fit. And as I was thinking about this, I think even the church today, many of the times when we hear you know, sermons or people teaching about things, we, we feel like, okay, this week, I am, you know, maybe even after you hear the sermon, maybe you'll be super convicted. It's like, I'm going to wait for God this week. And then I'm going to do these 10 steps and do these things. And when something, it doesn't work out, and when things don't work out the way that we expect it to, it's so easy for us to just kind of give up and kind of give in to the world around us. But what God is calling us to is, is to commit to him, commit to his ways. You know, and there's yeah, I man. Hmm. As I stand here before you and as I'm as I'm really like thinking about what the spirit is really trying to say to us today. You know, I and you know, I I wrote out these verses um 
you know, I wanted to go into Acts and these kind of things, but this, this, this doesn't feel what God is really trying to say right now. I feel like what God is trying to say to us is that he sees each and every one of you where you guys are at. He sees you. He sees that you guys are busy. He sees that you guys, some of you guys are just hanging on by a thread. And I I really feel that what God is really trying to say in this moment is not to receive what I'm saying up here as an indictment to your busyness. Not to say, like, yes, trust in him or even commit. These, these words, I think we, can, we hear about these things a lot of the time. We hear about sermons, and, and we can watch them on YouTube, and we can hear people teach about these things, and we hear all the time about trusting in God and committing to his ways and these kind of things. But what I want to say... F- right now in this moment is that God sees how afraid all of us are right now. He sees you. He sees how difficult life is. And what he is really inviting us to is not more of the same. It's not frantically trying to study for an exam and then spend time with friends or try to get to work or take care of our kids or, or trying to get everything that, everything that everyone is expecting us to get done. That's not what God is calling us to. God is calling us to a life that is rich and full and doesn't have to be this hamster wheel that we're trying to constantly figure out how to do things more efficiently. I know this is not really where the <laughs> the sermon is uh, is going, and but this 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 psalm I really believe really gives us this picture that life doesn't have to be about this hamster wheel that we're constantly on every day, every moment, trying to like we're exhausted by the time we get home, and we're so exhausted that we feel like we have to check out, and when we check out, that doesn't really give us life. It doesn't really connect us with God. And really, actually, that really just actually jumps to my third point, third way, rest. Waiting on God is resting in him. And the psalmist talks about this here in, Psalm, in verse 7. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not get upset because of, the, of one who is successful in his way, because of the person who carries out wicked schemes. When we live our lives in such a way that we have nothing left at the end of the day, and in that place, we are constantly searching for something to give us more energy. It could be even caffeine. It could be, you know, whatever. Like, I really wanted to speak to that that is really not finding rest in God. And, and it's interesting that the psalmist here kind of talks about, again, not being upset because of the one who's successful in his way, because of the one who carries out wicked schemes. I think that, that that first part, who is successful in his way, really stands out to me because 
I really feel that a lot of what drives us, especially for those of us that are in the workplaces, is we, we see our peers being successful. We, we, we see this culture is based on success. And we feel like we have to keep going and keep running and keep working and keep everything because we have to be successful. Not just even at our jobs, but at our families. We have to be successful with our kids and making sure that they have the best. And everything is always pushing us more and more to be successful. But we don't have to live that way. We don't. God calls us to find rest in him. Rest. And there's a difference. There's a difference between resting and breaking and finding a break. And this is what I was getting to before, that when we have that, those days, and I've had those days too, where meetings and meetings and meetings, so many meetings, I just remember I used to work in IT, and from 8 to 5, back-to-back, one-hour meetings, including over lunch, and you're supposed to eat lunch while you have your meeting. And I'm sure some of you have experienced that too. But it's, it's, it's insane. And at the end of those days, all you want to do is have a break. I don't want to spend any more time thinking about anything work-related. But really, I want to encourage you guys to think about that, that finding rest in the Lord is not equal to having a break. And this is, this is why. Because when we just have a break, when we try to take a break, take a vacation, we can do that without God. Again, going to kind of that previous point, that when we make choices apart from God, like that actually doesn't give us real life. It doesn't really give us a true sense of being with him and connecting with him and finding energy from him. And really, resting is about connecting with God, finding things that we delight in that really draw us closer with God. And I was talking to our leaders about this last Sunday, that really the call for a lot of the people who are serving in youth group and seeds and these kind of things is in these periods where we're asking them to take a rest, you know, is to really find those times of refreshing in God. And that's essentially what we hope too for Sundays here is that these Sundays, even though a lot of us serve and a lot of us you know, come, but we really want to invite people to find rest in God in these moments. And really, if you think about it, like the reason why a break really isn't finding rest in God is, is, is really because ultimately taking a break, that sense of just being free and, and not having to think about things eventually goes away right? That is not something that lasts, like, is that deep? It doesn't last. But resting in God really lasts. And I was thinking about this, and a way to really picture this is, I have this, um, I recently bought this wireless charger. All right, it's a three-in-one wireless charger. And, um, you know, spent a lot of money on it. I thought it was going to be amazing. And it's it's nice. I, I have an Apple Watch, a phone, um, I have, you know, uh, iP- uh, AirPods, and it, it charges all three really, really nicely. Uh, but for some reason, it doesn't charge my iPhone very fast. And I, I know that I probably didn't look into the specs that well, but 
for some reason, my iPhone is just slow at charging. But my wife, Faye, bought a charger a while back, just a phone, a wireless phone charger, and that charges so much faster, even though it's older. And as I was thinking about it, I was thinking that's what really rest in God is about, that when we rest in God, it's like that my wife's wireless charger. It charges, it gives us so much more energy and connection with God that we are recentered, able to face what the world has to has for us or against us even. But you know, when we take a break, it's like my old this this three one charger. It doesn't really replenish us. It doesn't really give us that true sense of being connected with God that we can face what this world has for us. So I just want to end with this. Wanted to encourage us, you know, this week that we can find rest or and wait in God, in the everyday. That we can wait for God in the everyday. Right, all of us have choices, big and small, that we make each and every day. And in those choices, we can wait. We can wait for God. You know, and and what I mean is this, like. Not that we have to wait for God when we make a choice, when we have to choose whether or not what to eat for dinner. And then we sit and we like pray for an hour, deciding what, what God wants us to eat. That's not what I'm talking about. Well, what I am talking about is that in those moments when we are not sure what to do, or in those moments where we feel rushed, or we feel like there's so many things that we have to take care of, I believe God is inviting us, especially in those moments, to wait on him. That we can trust in him in those moments. That we can commit to his ways of doing things. That we don't have to figure it all out ourselves. We can turn to him in those moments. And I believe as we turn to him in those smaller moments, as we turn to him each and every day, maybe not all the time, but throughout the day when he reminds us, then we grow in waiting for him. We grow in what it means to wait for God, for him to speak to us. We learn what it means to be following his ways, to cultivate faithfulness, to do good, to experience delight in him. That's what it really means to wait for God. And I believe that ultimately, what that does is it really teaches us a way of life. And the big decisions that we're facing, and I know many of us face big decisions in our lives, that sometimes they can seem overwhelming. But God sees you. He sees you. You are not alone. You don't have to figure out those decisions by yourself. You don't have to ask Google or generative AI what to do. You can trust in God and commit to his ways, and he will show you. So I just wanted to encourage you guys this, you know, this afternoon. Just God is inviting us as a church to wait on him, to show us his ways, and that will lead us in a place that is so much more life-giving 
than what we're experiencing now. So I'd like to invite the, uh, the worship team to come up, and as they come up and prepare, just we could spend some time waiting for God in this moment. We could spend some time asking him to help us trust that he will show us the way and what it means to actually wait on him. And as we do that, um, I'll close this time in prayer. Father, I pray as we wait on you in this moment that you would help us to wait on you with open hands. That you would help us to wait on you not feeling like we have to figure things out not feeling like we have all these tasks waiting for us after we leave this place. But that we can trust that you are the one who is leading us. That you are the one who knows what's best for us. And that your timing for our lives and for those that we love is truly what is best. Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to trust you. And Lord, as we grow in that trust, as we grow in knowing what it means to just wait for you, I pray that you would show us a greater vision of who you are. That you would show us how truly amazing and awesome you are. That you are the creator of all things and all things are in your hands. They're in your hands, Father, not in our own. And so, Father, I pray that we would have this vision of you and you would help us to let go of our lives. Or help us to give up our life so that we may find life in you. Help us follow you. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. And that's what God truly wants for us. He wants us to experience his goodness. And he has been so faithful. And he is faithful. And he will continually reach out to us. And so for this week, may we open our hearts to him. May we be open to his goodness as we wait for him. Help us, God, to trust you, to trust 
that what you have for us is your goodness. So I pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.